Bankless Nation. We have a special bonus episode for you to today. We've got Vance Spencer on. We're going to talk about uh, a question that I think has been in our minds, has been in the community's mind. Where are we right now? Mm-hmm. Is this a bull trap or a bull market? I can't tell. And there's debate on both sides. The bulls and the bears are hashing it out. Not sure if we've hit the bottom yet and are on the road to recovery or if we've got more bottoms to hit ahead. So, David, what are we talking about today? Yeah, so, uh, Ryan, I think we're going to try and answer your question. Are we ever going to get three-digit ETH back? Uh, I mean, the bankless listeners will know that I am just not – I don't think that's in the cards. David doesn't buy it. I don't buy it. But uh, there's some – we're at an interesting inflection point in the market. Bitcoin is down 66% from the top but up 50% from the bottom. Ether, also down 66 from the top, but up 75% from the bottom. Solana, down 90% currently, but is still up 200% from the bottom. Meanwhile, the L2 ecosystem is hot. OP token is at all-time highs. RPL is high as in, high in ETH terms. Aptos, somehow a $16 billion valuation. So where the hell are we in the market? Are we in a bear market? Is this a bull trap? Uh, Is macro going to send us a recession? And this is the last time to lock in profits before we all die. I don't know. Uh, But I want to ask some of these questions to Vance and just overall get an audit of the market. So that's what we're talking about today. Yeah, Vance Spencer, I I think is somebody who has got a good sense of this. That's why Mm -hmm. he was the number one person who came into mind when we were asking this question of like, uh, where are we in the market? So guys, before we get to you, Vance, though, got to share some. All right, David, um, what should we be looking for mm-hmm. in this episode? You, you teed us up with a lot of questions yeah. mm-hmm. in the intro here. Uh, is any human being able to actually answer those questions? Are we asking too much of Vance, of, of, of Vance? Yeah, Yes, and I hope and I think that he knows that. And so uh, <laughs> no no human can read the market. We don't know if we're going da- up, down, left, or right. Uh, in the, Well, we're definitely not going to the left. We're definitely going to the right because that's how charts work. Um, <laughs> but I think listeners should really kind of pay attention to like, all right, how much risk is on the table in 2023? How much exposure do I want to have? And like, just think about uh, positioning as we go into 2023. Uh, I think I'm a big fan of uh, at the very least, 2023 will be volatile um, over the year. Uh, and so think about just how, how much risk do you feel like taking on this year? Good for planning purposes. Uh, this episode is coming right at you. Um, before we get into it, first, we're going to tell you about the sponsors that will help you go bankless, including... Bankless Nation, Van Spencer is the co-founder of Framework Ventures, a VC firm that got its claim to fame by sticking around during the 2018 to 2020 bear market and going all in on DeFi before we even had the name DeFi, taking risks and finding gems while everyone else fled the industry. Uh, Vance, this is your fourth appearance on Bankless because in being addition to a VC chat, you are also adept at measuring the markets, understanding metas, which is what we are looking to do here today. Vance, welcome back to Bankless. Thanks for having me. Good to see you guys. Cheers. Always, always a good time, my man. And, and like we've been teasing in the intro and, and just now, we're really just kind of looking to get a lay of the land. Like, what is the meta right now? Uh, like, because, like I said, we're kind of in this weird middle ground of being down bad but up big from the bottom. So at just the highest of levels, when you look at the global read of the market, wh- how are you feeling right now? Like, what's your vibe? Feeling good, uh, pretty pretty good vibe. I, I think we're just ranging. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't think we need to like overly classify if it's an echo bubble or a bear market rally or if this is the start of a bull, new bull run. 
mm-hmm. we're just kind of ranging between one and two thousand on ETH, and you know, sixteen thousand and, and about twenty five. Like the psychological level of of where three arrows got liquidated, and when FTX shut down, I think that's kind of the uh, the emotional high water mark of of kind of like you know you need to clear that and, and put that behind you before you can really go anywhere. But we feel pretty good. We're we're kind of doing what we've always done, which is you know number one, stay alive. Number two take advantage of opportunities in a market like that. And, and number three, you know, not get too worried about it because it's going to take a little bit and that's okay. All right. So let's talk about this ranging idea, right? Um, I do think we're probably ranging, but let's define what that means. So by ranging, do you mean we've already seen the bottoms? Do you think we go back down to the basement that we were in with triple digit ETH? God knows what was Bitcoin under 15K, uh, Goblin Town, or have we seen the worst? Um, so the bottom was 888 in June for, for ETH. That's the main asset that I track. Um, and you know, to be honest, when it, when, when that weekend happened, that was like a a weekend in June, I think, um, there was so much for selling that weekend. It was BlockFi, it was Voyager. It was all the centralized lending dress desks trying to clear their book and, and reduce counterparty risk. And all the loans were getting called in. So people were selling crypto to, to return loans to these guys. You know, frankly, there's no credit left. And so that that's not really going to happen again. Um, we've blown up Terra, we've you know blown up or or they blew themselves up FTX. Um, you know, there's Genesis, there's Gemini, there's DCG, there's those, but those really aren't, you know, as big in my mind. And so I don't know if we go back to the bottom. It, it, a lot of it is just macro dependent. Um, but you know, it was interesting to see ETH bottom in, in June and then all the tech stocks bottom in, in kind of the fall. Uh, you know, we were the first in and it, and it looks like we might be the first out as well. Yeah, that, that definitely tracks with the overall vibe of crypto always just being ahead of the game and, and moving faster and just being a, a faster canary in, in the coal mine. I think the, the thing that's been the most interesting to me is just looking about how the market has reacted to news. Uh, the news that Genesis indeed was going to go through bankruptcy, DCGs not in the hottest position, uh, yet the market uh, pumped right after that news. As soon as the news that Genesis uh, was going to go through bankruptcy, the market went up like a global like 30, 20, 30%. Uh, and so when the market like doesn't react badly to bad news, that starts to give me some sort of assurances that the worst is over. H- how do you feel about that take? Um. You know, it's uh, anything can happen, right? He Mac thinks it's a mid take, David. He doesn't think it's mid. a great take. Mid. He's I trying to be polite here. I don't here. think it's a mid take. I, I think, <laughs> um, you know, again, we're just in this range. And like, you know, if we're, if we're over 1,400, it's the dawn of a new bull run. If we're under 1,400, you know, the bottom might not be in. There's really no assurances or guarantees that you can get at these levels. But I, I don't look a lot at macro. I, I look at like a few basic indicators. <clears throat> One is have interest rates peaked. Um, And if you think about 2018, the 10-year peaked in November, the stock market uh, bottomed in January, February, and and crypto kind of re-bottomed then as well. If you think a lot of this is driven by interest rates and liquidity, you know, we're over, or at least I think we're over that hill, which is really positive and supportive. But the macro is is still kind of unknown. There's a lot of, you know, potential, uh, you know, black swan scenarios, call it, and so you really can't, you know, be too confident, but it just depends on how long your time horizon is. If you've got five or 10 years or, or you know, in our case, up to 15, um, these prices we, we like, we've been buying, you know, it, this is kind of what we're built for. Uh, 
it's hard to take a short-term view on crypto. And, and you know, if you need guarantees about if the bottom is in and you only have a six-month time horizon, I don't feel too badly for you if uh, if it doesn't work out because you just need to have a longer-term time perspective. It just is what it is. And, you know, I've been through this like three or four times now and um, you just got to link your I mean, your like, totally agree. Can, can we just say like, look, if you're if you're only planning to be in crypto and holding your positions for six months, get out. <laughs> And I don't mean this in a mean way. It's just like, honestly, it's just like, you're going to lose money. It's kind of like, just like save yourself. I mean, I've seen so many people blow up, in, including last year, some of the biggest freaking hedge funds in crypto blow up with short-term time horizons and over leverage. I, I think that's got to be a key message. So what you're saying though, Vance, is that you think maybe interest rates have peaked, okay? But like you're uncertain of, of other macro events. Maybe again, they haven't peaked. I'm I'm going back to I know you were there, um, back to 2018 though. 2018 and 19, you know, the most painful part of that um, bear market for me wasn't actually hitting the bottoms. Um, although March 2020 was pretty damn painful. I was like, what's going to happen? But uh, usually wasn't hitting the bottoms. It was this just long, this ranging period, this whole apathy period of like nothing's happening, uh, like nothing's getting built. You know, will like at that time it was kind of existential. Are there any other apps on Ethereum that can exist here besides IP, uh, ICOs and like, you know, this is the beginnings of DeFi, but it was so tiny that it really didn't matter. Are you worried about that kind of ranging, that sort of apathy period, this bear market? Or do you think this is not analogous to 2018, 2019? Um, the way I think of it is, uh, do we need something new? Do we need new apps, new use cases, new things we haven't even thought of? Or do we need more of the same, more DeFi, more NFTs, more existing use cases? And during 2018, it was like new. It was, you know, we needed existentially something to use these blockchains for. Because if you went to the conferences back then, nobody was building anything. And, and you know, anything like I remember uh civic built a uh, beer vending machine that used on-chain identity and that was, was this like consensus 2018 or something this was yeah i, I don't remember know that. this this was, i was yeah, like no we hung our cool? for like eight know. months it was yeah. a real use case of blockchain um so at that point you needed like a whole industry you needed everything to change right now i mean you look at eth it's at like 1500 there's about 2500 3000 eth per day you know it's printing about 8 million in revenue per day that's pretty good. Like there's traction. You just need more of that. And if you get back into the cycle of people using NFTs and DeFi and what that's catalyzed by, frankly, is like the price of crypto assets going up because with crypto assets, price has the ability to fix sentiment in ways that is not, you know, uh, applicable in traditional equities. ETH is, you know, when ETH goes up in price, there's more credit because it's using DeFi. There's a bigger wealth effect because all the NFTs are priced in it. You know, there's all these things that are cultural. People send more ETH. People use more ETH. Like, you know, that is, you know, how the cycle bootstraps itself and it's reflexive. So we need more of that, more of the same. And we need, you know, a surprise. We need a game to work. We need, you know, uh, I, we personally think it'll be games just because they have the biggest consumer top of funnel, but it'll be a game. It'll be maybe something in the content space. It'll be something maybe people are building real payment rails built on blockchains like but the path is there. You know, we're, I'm not like scratching my head trying to think of, you know, how we could use blockchains. Like I know what they're useful for. It's just a matter of, can we get the, the, the flywheel to bootstrap itself? I think we can at a certain ETH price threshold, it will. Um, and then I think games will pan out. And, and so like, I'm not really that worried, honestly, you know, it's just going to take a little bit, but I've got time. 
Yeah, to talk about uh, Ryan's uh, uh, apathy market where we just go through 12, 16, 18 months of just like, oh, we range, and then we just realize that nothing's happened over that period of time. There, there are some things going on in the market which I am conflicted about. Is this a short-term meta trade just because things like staking as a service tokens are in vogue in the moment and that's where attention is? Or is this something new that we need to pay attention to? So for example, like RPL is in at all-time highs in Ether terms. Lido token is at its highs, I'm pretty sure, almost at its highs. Uh, then the Layer 2 tokens, OP, is at all-time highs. The Arbitrum ecosystem is super hot. I know like some of these things can just be a short term, like a medium term trend, a medium term like narrative rotation trade, but they also could be like some of the foundations for what ultimately does emerge as a bull market, however long this ranging period takes on. So like when when we watch these trends, uh, again, staking as a service, layer twos actually show up in market prices, how, how are you thinking about that in, in the short term? Are you like, okay, is this something to keep an eye on or is this traders just going to trade? Um, so the things I look for are, uh, number one, you know, you have a lot of price discovery in these smaller tokens, just cause you have like a lot of VC unlocks, you have like a lot of, uh, liquidity farm tokens that are coming out, uh, you know, so on and so forth. There's a lot of ability for people to find the right price for these things. Um, and you have all of the teams unlocking as well, if they hadn't through the bull market. And so it's actually very healthy that you're seeing a lot of volatility and you're seeing a lot of dispersion as well between tokens that have a lot of revenue and those that don't. And, you know, you, you've seen that in the price movement of things like Lido and Rocket Pool. And I, and I think that's very healthy. Um, and so it's worth paying attention to that stuff because those will tell you kind of where the crypto native bid really is. You know, it's really at this point, it's hedge funds, it's retail, and it's a small smattering of institutions that are buying the majors. But, you know, the signals you get from the crypto natives, what they're willing to trade their stables for in a time, you know, of a pretty deep bear market, that's a pretty good signal for what might be the next meta or the next narrative. Um, the other thing that I, I think of and, and just look for is, you know, does fully diluted valuation match circulating valuation? It's hard for me to make a judgment call on, on things that have like 10% circulating just because you're playing this weird low float, you know, game and, and you know, like, is that the right price? Is that the wrong price? It just depends on, you know, what the supply of unlocks is going to be in the future. And, you know, it's really hard to forecast that, especially if you're thinking about who sells and who doesn't. And then the final thing that I look for is, you know, which tokens are going to break their all-time high first, where circulating matches fully diluted. And that is usually a pretty good indicator of, of where things go next. And nobody's really gotten there yet, but, you know, some are close. You look at Lido, you look at uh, things like Matic, you look at things like, um, you know, e even ETH is pretty pretty close. Like, whichever ones break first, you know, that that, that usually has a chance of becoming the next meta. Vance, while we're on the subject here, and, and you kind of mentioned it briefly, is um, crypto natives are kind of buying, like, look at what they're doing. Um and you said some institutions are buying. I want to talk to you about institutions for a minute. Um, do you remember this was another mantra coming out of 20, 2017? It's a 20, like in the institutions are coming. It was a Novogratz thing. I'm surprised he didn't get that one tattooed. Um, got something else though. But um, sorry, 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 Novo. Um, sincerely sorry. Um, but okay, so what about the institutions then? Are they like, are they freaking? We don't talk to them as much. I mean, we probably should from time to time. Actually, we're, we're having Eric Peters on, I think, um, next next month, David, mm -hmm. the podcast. I intend to ask him this question, but what's your vantage point? Are the institutions like scared shitless about 
2022, I mean, you had Elgo stablecoins go to zero. You had major institutionally safe hedge fund throughout capital collapse. You had the number three exchange, maybe number two exchange. I don't know what this is. Suddenly they're missing $15 billion. Oopsies. Like, are the institutions freaking out about this and heading for the for the hills? Is that going to cause a bear market like or extend it? What do you what do you think about institutional buyers? So this this was the real really the first cycle we had institutions and, and that's lost on on some people. The 2017 wave was basically just ICO capital and crypto natives punting around and it was very Bitcoin heavy. This was the first cycle where the institutions really got in, the blockchain fund of funds got really big. Um, you know, everyone got pulled up uh, on the institutional side. I think the problem with the institutional side is that a lot of people were sold uh, a very specific dream of crypto, which was FTX, which was GBTC, which was putting Bitcoin on, you know, S&P 500 balance sheets, which was the NFT and metaverse wave. And everyone who fought to allocate at these crypto institutions now just looks kind of stupid. But it's it's not just a crypto thing. It's all the fake meat companies, you know, that are down 99%. It's, you know, FaZe Clan stock, which is down 99%. It's all the car makers, which were fraudulent. It's all the growth stock funds that have gotten beaten up. It's not just crypto. It's just the but, memes. It's the narrative stocks. And right. The memes. And, and so, like, whenever you think about, um, you know, what might the institutions be thinking, think individually. Think about a 32-year-old analyst or associate who's trying to make it to partner who, you know, put their neck on the table to fight for allocation into FTX and now just got completely buckled and is trying to figure out what they do next. Probably isn't going to be launching another headlong into crypto strategy or fund or allocation. Those things are just going to take time for people to recover from. I think the good news is that Robinhood, you know, the growth tech stocks, the fake meat, you know, companies, those just don't have any tailwinds. Like they probably may, they, they might not ever hit their all-time highs again. Like there is just no structural momentum behind them. If you think about what I said earlier, where, you know, crypto was the first into the toilet and maybe it's the first out. Um, the reason is because it has a bunch of progress. It has a bunch of applications. It has cash flows. You can, you know, evaluate, you know, in a reasonable manner. Um, and a lot of these other things don't, you know, Robinhood, no matter how hard, how, how big it gets, the payment for order flow business model means that it's really never going to generate a ton of ca- capital at scale. And so I, I think it's going to take time. The institutions aren't all gone. It's just, you know, some made unfortunate decisions to allocate into funds or, or you know, investment opportunities that didn't pan out. But that's just kind of how it goes. And it's unfortunate that there isn't any continuity, you know, of someone who's just like the crypto guy at, uh, you know, like one of the big endowments um, because, you know, that way it would be better. They would allocate during the bear market. They would not just come back and buy the top kind of like they always do, but you know, that's just life. You know, they just have pretty bad timing pretty much across every cycle. All right. So, so I, I get that argument. I, I just want to advance, take the devil's argument case for, for a second. Okay. The, um, the fake meat companies and the meme stocks and such, yeah, they're down bad too. All right. But they didn't have a, you know, 10 to $15 billion fraud who bribed one third of all Congress that literally kind of went bankrupt. Um, the biggest fraud scandal, whatever we're calling this thing now since Enron, does that cause a permanent stain on our industry in ways that maybe the other mistakes that were made during the uh, like cheap money era um, haven't? What do you think about that, that argument? 
I, so I think, first of all, uh, you know, Nicola founder, Trevor Milton, he's in jail. Um, you know, Chamath launched, I think, 20 SPACs that have all pretty much gone down 95%. Uh, there's a fair you know amount of blame to be passed around when we're thinking about 2021 and, and what exactly happened. SBF is the biggest fraud of, of them all. Um, he has funny hair and he looks strange. And so people like to write headlines about him and all the strange things that he does. And, you know, that's just like something that we're going to have to collectively live through throughout the case. And that's happening in October. So it's not going away anytime soon. But, you know, it, everyone right now is just shocked or, or I think they're coming out of the shock. They're probably like, you know, dealing with it now. But in the fullness of time, I think people will realize that crypto has real use cases, has real traction at scale. Many of these other more speculative uh, companies and projects and ideas did not. And conflating them is just a stupid idea because that's how you get sidelined. Um, and so I think right now, if you're describing the institutional, institutional LPs, you need to be very honest about, it's not like this metaverse future that's like 50 or 100 years away. We have traction now. DeFi is better, faster, cheaper. Games have a structural advantage if they're built on blockchain rails. There's many other interesting things that are happening that are generating cash flow. You know, you just have to lead them back to water, but that's okay. This kind of has happened for the past two or three cycles. So it's not really anything new to, to me, at least. I think this is just a great sober analysis of like positioning crypto, the crypto markets relatively shoulder to shoulder with some other like frontier technologies that are coming out and saying, hey, like we had a fraud, but like there's other there's other frauds, too. And now our frauds are shoulder to shoulder with their frauds. And so like this is all this is all just the way that, that, that finance works. And I do appreciate the take that at least in comparison to like, you know, the the, the plant meat technology crypto rate of innovation is still probably the fastest there is on the planet probably like our iterative cycles and our innovation that we that we can get inside of a bear market is unprecedented and and vance you talked about just like the difference between fully diluted valuation and and market cap uh and being able to build our way i think the my interpretation of what you're saying is like well even when our our valuations might get ahead of us we can still build our way back up to those valuations but i want to put on the on the screen here uh, the Aptos chart, uh, which is currently standing at a $16 uh, billion dollar network valuation. Yeah, that fully diluted $16 billion network valuation. Absolute mooning in price at all-time highs. When you see the Aptos chart, uh, what do you see? Oh, sorry to the stream because the, the vision visuals didn't make it up there. Sorry about that. But same question. Um. I'm a realist. I just know that it doesn't have any apps built on it. There's no ecosystem. There's no network. And and frankly, like I, I think it's a little embarrassing. But you know, like I'm not the I'm not the judge, jury, and executioner of like what gets to go up in price. And and me just being, you know, I think the non-charitable version would be salty about this. Uh, you know, I think I could see how people would arrive at that conclusion, but I don't know. There's always going to be the speculative excesses of crypto um, to see it like totally dominate a market cycle and and pull away from things that have traction. I think we just need to get past that at some point. And so. Does that, like, let me, can I, I, can I ask you, so, you know, some of our friends, some of the people uh, David and I associate with and kind of that chart that we just showed really triggers them. Like it, it, it makes it, them like, angry. It, yeah. it makes them angry. It pisses them off. Um in ways that maybe aren't entirely mentally healthy. But like, I also feel that, I mean, like, um, if you have a blockchain without traction, without use cases, without selling the thing that blockchains sell, which is block space, and it's valued at 
I mean, isn't that what we just went through in 2022? Does it, does it make you mad at all? Does it piss you off? Or are you just like kind of Zen about it? Like whatever. I mean, the long-term like future will, will bear out however, however, however it does. And the short-term kind of things don't matter. What's what, how do you feel about these things? Have to take a long view. Um, you know, most of these things eventually correct to the point that they should be valued at, but all blockchain assets trade expensive. That's the reality of, of the situation. And they trade expensive because, you know, we at least think that we're building into this massive addressable market that we should be able to capture in the near future. Um, but like it, it, it works for us and it works against us. You know, ETH is $160, $70 billion asset right now. That's expensive. That's that's bigger than most software companies. It's about the size of salesforce.com. Um, I think it's, you know, pretty cheap. We've, we've certainly, you know, expressed that position in our, our book, but, um, you know, if you come to a traditional software company, I could see those investors being like, how could it trade so high? This is complete bullshit, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, and so it's a feature and a bug. You can't have Aptos trade that high without Ethereum being there. Um, sure. I think the ratio corrects at some point, but I've never really been able to figure it out, but you know, like, you guys did most of these blockchains were multi multi billion dollar valuations of the like the long tail l ones and it just happens you know it, it just is what it is well xrp still hasn't gone to zero of course it's worth still billions although they haven't right. hit a, an all-time high in over five years which is kind of interesting whereas you know eth was in the last 400 days or so but um i i guess you know, my understanding of framework and, and how you've positioned yourself, this could be totally wrong. I'm not an LP. I don't have the inside scoop, but um, you guys probably missed a lot of the quote unquote alt L1 trade of 2021 and 2022, early 2022, at least. I don't know if that'd be fair to say. Um, certainly like I did mm-hmm. uh, and a lot in the, of people in the bankless community did. And to the point where it it felt like I was almost taking like crazy, crazy pills. pills. If I go rewind January of this year, things were much, much different. And we had Luna mooning. And if you'd say anything bad or like contrary to sort of the narrative against any of these kind of alt one trade, it could be something simple as like, I don't think this is worth what the market thinks it is right now something like that you get absolutely pummeled to the but to the point where i felt like i was a little crazy um what what was the the effect on you like having maybe i don't know if this was your your position too missed some of those alt one trades did you think that you were like wrong for a period of time and how do you kind of deal with that uh yeah explore that with us yeah, I mean, my, my job isn't to hit everything. It's to hit enough and and be unique enough that, you know, I produce a, a portfolio that has really good returns and doesn't look like my my competitors. Um, and, you know, was I, uh, we didn't hit the alt L1 trade. You know, we were really kind of in the DeFi and, and now gaming kind of those types of investments. Uh, you know, frankly, like in the fullness of time, our portfolio did better than if we had allocated to those uh, at the time when the fund could have allocated to them. Uh, so I really wasn't that worried. I think more of it in terms of like, what should I learn for the future? You know, are the learnings that I should be aping into every alt L1 that I see and and hoping that it, you know, goes to $16 billion fully diluted and, and sell into retail. Um, 
I don't really think that's the learning. We've had a lot of opportunities to chase fast money, but we've really never taken them. We take a long-term view, which means protecting the brand and trying to do things that we think have real product market fit and traction. Um, and so we're happy to kind of, you know, let our theses play out and, and be proven wrong or right in the fullness of time. But I don't think the le learning for me was, uh, you know, allocate to all the LL1s. I think the learning was a lot of them were probably pumped up by cheap credit and probably customer money. Um, there was a massive, you know, over inflating of, you know, what they thought the fundamentals were. And, you know, if I look back and, and it, also if I look forward, I can tell which ones are generating a lot of revenue. I can tell which ones you know, are, are actually going to be attractive to institutions. And I can tell which ones are, are frankly going to just going to be the future of the industry. I, I think eventually we're going to see these more speculative alt L1s, tokens, et cetera, die. And we've already seen a lot of that so far. Um, and I think generally the market is tending towards my perspective rather than the opposite one. Um, and yeah, you, you also have to remember that back in the day, ETH had not transitioned proof of stake. EIP 155 was not in, it had not scaled. All the all three things of those were the main motivating factors to launch these L1s. And frankly, like those aren't there anymore. So let's see. And you know, if you have something like Eigenlayer where you can use ETH to secure your Oracle blockchain or middleware, why 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 launch more with tokens? It it, it doesn't make a ton of sense. There's a, a couple more sectors of this conversation that we want to touch on, Vance. Uh, the, the state of the private markets is something that I want to pick your brain on. But also, I know that you, you of course, pay attention to macro because how can you not? Uh, and there's just always this looming fear of recession on, on the uh, horizon. So I, I want to ask you about those uh, two things. But first, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. All right, Bankless Nation, we are back with Vance Spencer. And, and Vance, of course, like uh, like I said in your bio, uh, co-founder of Framework Ventures, hence venture capital, hence private markets. Uh, I, the private markets have been volatile just as much as the public markets because they were super overinflated a little bit over a year ago and now are, have come down quite a lot. At least that's been what I've been seeing. Vance, uh, can, can you give us an audit of just like the state of the private markets? So like, are, how are the supply of deals? How are the valuations of those deals? Uh, is, is, uh, framework writing a bunch of checks right now? Like what's, what's overall going on from your neck of the woods? Uh, we're, we're still deploying. We, we announced an investment today. We announced, announced another investment last week. So like, we're certainly doing things. Um, I think things have just gotten a lot more grounded, lower prices, more of a focus on revenue, more of a focus on, you know, what addressable market are you tackling today versus, you know, what market do you need to invent tomorrow? Um, and, you know, at the C level, which is kind of where we play, not a lot has changed. Like, you know, things have gone down in price quite significantly, but other than that, we're still seeing a lot of flow, um, a lot of entrepreneurs, et cetera, et cetera. I think where things have changed the most are at the growth stage. You had OpenSea at 13.3 billion valuation. You had Alchemy at 12. You had Circle at nine. You know, Coinbase is worth 12 billion right now. So re-rate everything to that, and you probably get a valuation for those startups of a few billion. You know, if you're if you're being charitable, uh, and that Wait, has Aptos sorry. is worth more than Coinbase right now. Aptos oh my god! Yeah. Okay. So, okay. you know, well, keep in mind, like, you know, Coinbase doesn't have the same concept of like fully diluted and circulating supply. So it can't really like play those types of games. Sure. Um, and so, you know, the value of Aptos, who knows what it actually is. We, it can't be determined, but things have come down quite a lot. Uh, we still are waiting for like the class of 2021 to come back and raise because they're going to need to. But there's a lot of startups out, out there and the reality of the game is that it takes a thousand startups to produce one 
that's good or or 10 you know more, more charitably and and we're just seeing that process play out in real time but we're getting to the 10 like it feels like we know where they're going to be and, and what the names might be and that feels good Vance, your uh, framework has really leaned into the whole gaming side of things. Um, but from what I've seen on Reddit, uh, gamers hate NFTs. So how are you fighting that fight? So Web3 games are uniquely positioned to offend both existing gamers and crypto people. Crypto people <laughs> don't think it's fully decentralized. Gaming people don't think it's a real game. And so like, who's going to play it? The answer is a lot of people. Like, there are tens of thousands of people trying Alluvium, playing, you know, it's not even connected to NFTs yet, but like the game is compelling. There's a community forming around it and it's very crypto native and, and it can scale, you know, on the, on the web two side of the web two studios that are coming in, you know, Stardust has 80 customers right now that are building on top of it that are, you know, not going to do the full token feedback loop, you know, reflexive Axie game, but they're going to put NFTs as shields or swords or, you know, the virtual currency will be tokens like we're making baby steps. And so I don't really expect to get a lot of love from really the crypto people or the gaming people. We're just going to create a new market. But the good news is I'm being proven right at, at a small scale, like things like Pixels, which another game on Stardust has 40, 50,000 monthly active users are scaling. It's growing. It's one of the larger blockchain apps on a blockchain. You know, these things are already happening. I just am waiting for it to get from smaller scale to larger scale. And then I'll be able to say that, you know, I was definitively right. But that's a this year story. David, I, I'm curious. Have you have you heard crypto people like hate hate on um, uh, crypto games for, for not being decentralized enough? Um, just wondering where that's coming from. Usually it's the, uh, the oh, it's just a Ponzi scheme with a skin layer on top of it is the, the typical critique that I hear. Yeah. Or, or, it's, or it's not a real on-chain game. Sure. You know, not yeah. all of the game is on-chain. It's like... Right. Why would we want to put all the game on chain? We're not trying to build yeah. like the most on chain game. We're trying to build a game that appeals to people. That I don't. I definitely don't hate it. Uh, Vance, if the Vance Spencer, the framework thesis for crypto gaming, uh, is one hundred percent correct, can you kind of give us uh, the, what the what that looks like over the next one to to five years? Like how how do games progress uh, under your your vision for for crypto gaming? It'll feel like when NFTs first became popular, when all the DeFi people were like having fun, they thought they were inventing the future, it was going to be dominated by DeFi, and then NFTs started happening, and, and people were like, that's not right, those are dumb, those are just JPEGs on <laughs> monkeys, and you know, th that doesn't involve DeFi, and so like, how could we be left out of That like, was totally me at first, 100%, yeah. for like right. two or three months. <laughs> it happens, um, and, and you know, then the NFT people got rich, and it was like, these people, like, how could they do that? <laughs> no taste. Um, and, you know, no respect for the elders. <laughs> you know, first of all, it's happening in the background. Nobody realizes that people are, are playing things like Luvium or playing things like Pixels or, you know, like a lot of these games are, are starting to ship their, their first iteration. Um, and you're going to have a couple of days where it just feels like Steppen did, where that was like all anybody was doing for like a week. And you're like, how do I buy the shoes? And like, should I be doing this? Like, this is stupid. And like, it's only popular for people in other countries. So I'm not going to do it. It'll feel like that. And it'll happen a few times. And then you'll see the burn on, on, on ETH or an L2. Um, and that's when it's going to become real for people. And what you're going to see is that it won't look like the exact same stack. Some of the wallets will be custodial. You know, that'll offend a lot of people. The, the whole game won't be on chain. You know, that will offend a lot of people, but it'll bring a lot of new people on the crypto blockchain rails 
just like the Reddit point system did. And that's what I'm looking for. More people. Vance, um, DeFi has been kind of down only for a while now. It feels like two years. Maybe it has been two years. I mean, I, there have been sectors, there have been tokens that have gone up. But overall, uh, down relative to ETH, um, certainly. Uh, is it going to make a comeback at any point in time? I mean, like, some people are just pointing to you now um, broken tokens, broken token economics, um, no, like, bad governance systems, no actual revenue profit attached to the token itself. Uh, what do you see the future of, of DeFi tokens, even some of the blue chip ones, which I know you're kind of like, you're fundamentally bullish on some of the original DeFi types of applications like trading and lending and these types of things. But what about the tokens? So I, I think a lot of the DeFi use cases are, are leveraged to the price of, of the major assets. Um, and so, you know, those are, that's a category where you just need more of the same. You know, you need more speculative interest in crypto. You need more people using ETH as credit. You need more people buying NFTs. You know, those are all DeFi use cases. And, and those are all largely driven by the price of, of crypto assets. And so, you know, there is a point where that flywheel gets stronger and stronger. It's above a price point where we are today, in my opinion. But, you know, that's kind of the bull case for DeFi. It's it's the most endogenous use case that's on chain. You don't need to invent anything new. We know it as product market fit. And we know how the tokens can accrue revenue. There are a lot of broken tokens, but those are more of a symptom of not having product market fit at scale versus like not being able to hand the revenue over to token holders. So that that's kind of like one point on, on DeFi. Um, but you see, you know, even in this market, success stories, the new number one app on DeFi is Lido. It is adding, you know, as of yesterday, 65,000 ETH per day staked through Lido. That is a lot of ETH. That is a lot of money. There's a lot of fees that can be re redirected to the token. So, you know, people choose to see the thousands of tokens that didn't work instead of the hundred or so that did. Um, but we're not in the business of the thousand tokens. We're in the business of picking the winners. And, you know, it, it just is what it is. Nobody said this, this is going to be easy, um, but there are signs of traction. There are signs of life there. And yeah, you know, it, it's all good. I, we just hold for longer. That, that's my opinion. Holding for longer has been uh, uh, facetiously uh, optimistic or uh, good strategy for me was like, oh, I'm down. I'll just keep on holding. And uh, I mean, a lot that were really, really worked with Ether. I don't know how going down the long tail of tokens, how much that works out. But I mean, it's it's worked out prior to this. Uh, and to, there's one last uh, line of questioning that we I want to talk about, which is just macro and recession. Uh, I do know you pay attention to macro. I also know that you won't ever give prescriptive advice because you're not so foolish to do so. But uh, <laughs> as it relates to just how you think about things and, and things in uh, 2023 and beyond and, and uh, what other people should be thinking about as it relates to macro, uh, what are you thinking about? Because the banks are laying off people. People are talking about that that's a canary in the coal mine. Uh, tech has had massive, massive rounds of layoffs. Uh, what are the first thoughts that come to mind when you, when you hear the word macro in recession? Uh, I've heard it all before. I, I would say that's probably my, my first one. I've listened to all the macro podcasts. I've, I've heard all the takes. They're all, you know, reasonable. Uh, earnings might go down. The recession might be bad. Um, you know, there's a lot of evidence which suggests usually stocks bottom before the economy actually does, just because you have people cutting rates and, and doing things like that. Uh, 
but you know, I, I don't find any of the like macro doomer predictions too compelling. There's a lot of people, smart people who thought the world was going to end last year, that oil was going to 300, um, you know, and we were going to be trading like sticks of butter for like wood. Um, but that just didn't come to pass. And, you know, I think now with interest rates, you know, hopefully having peaked, we're on the other side of, of a market that's driven by liquidity and interest rates. And, and that's how I think about macro. I don't really pay attention to it too much. Um, yeah, I mean, macro doesn't need to be super favorable. It just needs to be like not entirely hostile. That's at least my framework. Ryan, you want to bring up the ratio? Oh, I thought you wanted to bring up the ratio. I'll bring, David, I'll bring up the ratio. Okay, this is the last subject, and then we'll let you go, Vance, because I know you got a meeting. But uh, this is the thing that I've been uh, keeping an eye on uh, for a while now, which is, of course, the uh, Bitcoin-Ether ratio that I've now put up on the screen. Uh, I think this is one of the most highest signal charts in crypto. Uh, to me, it's the sign of health. Uh, maybe I'm biased, but when Ether goes up I think versus, you are biased, sir. <laughs> biased. When Ether goes up versus Bitcoin, I think that's kind of healthy. Uh, and ever since EIP-1559 and proof of stake, we've seen a general like uptrend in, in the ratio, except for the last two days. Uh, Vance, when you see the ratio, what kind of signals do you think it, it tells us? Um, I mean, right now, if you zoom out, like it's uh, we've just come out of this massive years long uh, downtrend and, and it's now kind of reestablished itself at a higher level. Whole way I think of it is um, if you're bullish, uh, EIP 1559, the merge, uh, you know, all the flows and the structural, uh, you know, you know, basically supply of Ethereum, uh, that will matter. That will matter on the ETH USD pair. But really, what I look for is, you know, can all of these factors drive ETH to flip Bitcoin? And I think the answer is probably yes. And and then once ETH does that. You know, ETHUSD will be uh, in charge of its own destiny. So, you know, that's kind of how I think about it. Um, I really don't follow this chart other than like very long-term time horizons, but I, I think it looks pretty healthy. ETH flippins Bitcoin. Uh, uh, do you dare to provide a time frame on that one? I don't. I don't. You know, it could take years. Could be sooner than that. But um, the math is pretty clear. And and when you have the math on your side, uh, in terms of the supply of these assets, uh, just think of it like, um, you know, you mix a bunch of elements together, the lightest ones are going to generally flow to the surface. doesn't really make sense for the heaviest one to be on top, especially when that's getting sold in the market and the miners are down bad. So that's kind of how I think about it. And really just to drive home on that metaphor, uh, light versus heavy. Can you unpack that real quick? Sure. So, I mean, the lightest assets should float to the top. You know, think about like, mixing a salad dressing together mm -hmm. you know you generally see the oil float to the top right but why is ether light and why is bitcoin heavy bitcoin is heavy because it has uh i believe about 300 350,000 bitcoins printed per year um and at a current cost of you know 22 23,000 that's like seven eight billion of selling pressure that needs to be absorbed somewhere so call it 500 to 800 million per month of, of buyers that you need to go find versus eth which has zero supply being being issued and you don't need to find those buyers and this may sound small uh for a market that has billions and billions of dollars dollars per day but not having the persona of people who are coming in and selling these coins every single day every single month is actually a very big thing if you've spent any time looking at order books just like all of the pricing is set on the margin the most consistent buyers the most consistent sellers and one asset having them whereas the other doesn't it's just a massive difference um and so it's heavier 
It's also bigger in the aggregate. You need more buyers anyway to keep it up there. Uh, and so those factors, I think, will weigh on it uh, and we'll see what happens. Michael so, Saylor can do it. I think. <laughs> Seven, we'll eight billion. I, I expect him to announce something at some point. Just feels like, you know, he, he's been out there maybe buying a few coins. <laughs> so Vance, it's just not, it's not a matter of when, it's just a matter of if for Ether flipping Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you're bullish on crypto, um, you're pretty much bullish on that ratio. Because if the industry right. just stays how it has been in, in the future, in the past, we're, what are we just gonna be doing Bitcoin again? Like that, that doesn't really hold my attention at least. But, well, what about this question though? Do you, do you think that the alt layer one, the alt layer one wars are over? I mean, so um, every bull market we've had kind of a, a round of new contenders coming after Ethereum's throne. Uh, will that happen again? Yeah, of course. There's a market for being early to stuff. You know, people want to be the next ETH killer. That'll always persist. Even even when Eigenlayer launches and you never, ever need to have your own token and like, we'll find a reason for one because there's product market fit to being early for things. And there's product market fit for entrepreneurs launching tokens. Um, and so you need to just be cognizant of like, you're going to have things like Aptos happen every- But will quarter. you get fewer? Like, I'm wondering if like the the- the investment opportunities move up the stack a little bit. Like you will get fewer, you will get fewer, but you know, ETH will, and it is still like the biggest venture outcome that people can target. Right. And so, you know, people aren't launching a, a lot of DeFi protocols right now because they don't think the opportunity is there. It's the opportunity is a hundred X larger to launch a base layer. If you can become the size of Ethereum. Still, that, it's still, yeah, it's going to be like that for a yeah. while. Jeez. Yeah. You know, it, it is what it is, but, uh, no need to be upset. I like this Zen attitude uh, Vance has towards these uh, towards these markets. Do you have any other um, thoughts for us? Any any kind of advice? So, what should we what should we expect in twenty twenty three? What should we uh, get busy doing? We're not no advice doing... of any sort. Um, <laughs> don't leave. Read. Try to stay involved. Try to you know support entrepreneurs. Um, It'll take longer than you think, but it'll kind of happen sooner than you expect. You know, it'll happen all at once. So I would just say enjoy the time where it's not super crazy and, and you can afford to take a beat. Are there still 100x opportunities out there somewhere? Sitting in the square market? That question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope they are. David, do you have anything else for Vance before we close this thing out? No, that's it, Vance. Thank you so much for, for coming on and just sharing your thoughts. I think everyone just got a little bit wiser on the stream. Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. Appreciate it. Got to remind everyone, of course, none of what we just talked about was financial advice. Uh, purely entertainment. It always is on Bankless. Risks and disclaimers. Got to let you know as well, crypto is risky. If you didn't know, now you know. So is DeFi. You could lose what you put in. We are headed west, though. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the Bankless journey. Thanks a lot. <laughs>